Hey, what's going on, everybody? Brian from the Herfcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today's episode, I've got Daryl Davis and Coffee Black back again, and we keep it lighthearted this time. Instead of going into race relations, we talk about uh, Daryl's music career and a couple of different stories there. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Uh, don't forget stogiebird.com. You could save $5 with the code HERFCAST. He's got a new option for the Stogie Bird Dozen. Plus, don't forget he's got other cigars on sale on the website. Uh, so you've now got options for 2, 5, 8, and 12 cigars. And no matter what you order, you're going to save $5 with the coupon code HERFCAST. So check it out. Congratulations to Paul Soren and Curtis Harmon. They are the winners of the Stogie Bird contest. If you listen to the episode with Sam Lucia uh, talking about Stogie Bird whatnot, he had the contest going on, and Paul Soren and Curtis Harmon were the winners of that. So congratulations to them. Don't forget to visit the website. The website, you could find all the episodes, theherfcast.com. You can visit the store, buy a shirt, buy some stickers, whatever. And you could also find a link to my Patreon where if you donate a dollar, it's amazing. If you do $5 and up, that gets you into a contest every month. So check it out. Hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation. I think we did a pretty good job. So enjoy. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. So. All right. Cheers, what, guys. What, what, do you, what do you got there? I got uh, fruit punch. Yeah? Yeah. Just, uh, Ooh. Uh, all right. So, um, so this time, like, we're going to keep it more lighthearted and get into some of the music and fun stories and okay. and all that. Uh, I think that's what we agreed upon last time uh, that, that we would have to get away from the serious stuff. Um, Nobody for a wants change. to hear serious stuff right now. Yeah, <laughs> they got enough serious stuff going but, on. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Maybe um, uh, if we can, if we can probably cut it off in about seventy-five or so minutes. That works yeah. for you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever, okay. like whatever time you got. Because I, I, have, I actually have to go to work today. So. Okay. Um, you know, what, what, uh, what, what you guys are in Chicago or where are you? Outside of Chicago, Northwest okay. Indiana. Yeah, like right, like 25, 30 minutes right outside. So, so it's like um, basically you call it South Chicago, there, right? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. Um but uh yeah, I'm I'm still working. What what is uh, your job? Uh I'm at the steel mill. Okay. Which it, it baffles me because we have someone who's out of work at the uh Ford plant. At the Ford plant and my steel mill supplies cars and appliances and uh you know, they're all shut down. Yeah. Somehow we're still deemed essential and I'm I'm working labor next week instead of working my crane, which yeah. sucks. But I I mean I don't get me wrong I'm happy I got a job I'm, I'm right. happy that I'm working. Um, you know hopefully, hopefully everybody stays clean and uh, non non infected. <laughs> you know he might he might be going back to work uh, because uh, you, you say you work for Ford, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw on the news. I guess it was late last night. That uh, that GM has been ordered to start making uh, ventilators. Yeah, that yeah that, that yeah the Ford uh, president, or excuse me, the Ford CEO came out um, early last week. 
no, so, excuse me, earlier this week, Monday actually, and said um, that they were in the process of getting with 3M and trying wow. to make respirators. Right. And so that, that might be something that's coming our way. So, like, how, sure. how fast can I get that converted from a I car have, assembly line to a ventilator I assembly have line? I have no idea. But I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm not even sure if it'll be our plant because we have, like, eight plants in the state. So I don't know who, whose plant is, you know, being awarded that luxury. Yeah. But, um, of making ventilators with hopefully respirators on. Yeah. But, but we just we just got uh three cases in our plant yeah three confirmed cases in our plant and they were supervisors so then they had to contact all the people that they were around in that 14-day period uh so yeah it's still kind of a clusterfuck right now yeah (laughs) but we'll see we'll see i hear you so i'm doing my other job that's just not you know being paid yeah yes yeah (laughs) <laughs> all my gigs got shut down that week yeah. it was so terrible and i was still it was funny too because people were like i don't know man should we what do you think should we cancel the show should you cancel the promoter saying this that another i said look man the show's over with oh well you never know i said dude well it's still two weeks out i said listen to me it's <laughs> over with everything yeah. is over yeah everything's yeah. done if you had a game you know, when, when you see it when you you know when you see it coming yeah you know like 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 a terminally ill patient you know it, it hurts but you can deal with it yeah, uh, yeah. but when it blindsides you man i mean it's like what do no. you do man i had been prepping i had three shows this month and uh i was prepping for a a week of shows in phoenix and then finishing off uh, in L.A. And then, like, in a moment's notice. Boom. Like, I mean, it just hit. It really, it like, it, like one, it, it wasn't any information I got. I just thought I was watching the news. I was looking at everything. And I, I think when, when they canceled Coachella, uh-huh. when they canceled Coachella, I was like, oh, shit, that's, that's not good. <laughs> and then once the NBA left, and that 12 hours went from postponing to canceling the season. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm done. So uh, yeah. what am I going to do with my time now? Because the, I know the job's next, you know, and then the, 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 the hysteria happened and people in the stores were losing their minds. And I was like, yeah, this is over. No. Everything's done. There's no relief. Anymore. No. It, so now it's just content, you know. So now, how is it? How is it out by you? I don't know the statistics out in. Um... Well, uh, as of um, uh, early yesterday, uh, state of Maryland statewide has seventy seven hundred and seventy five confirmed cases. The uh, mm-hmm. the county in which I live has one hundred and eight confirmed cases. Uh, so so my county is leading it. Yeah, I was going to say. But uh, right. the statewide, we've had five deaths. Which which county are you in? I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland. Okay, Montgomery County. As, as of right now, uh, if this is – hold on, let me refresh this. It looked like it was over 200. So, so it went up in the last uh, day. Yeah, because we, we, had, we had 108 uh, early yesterday. Yeah, and Montgomery yeah. County is 255 with one death. Woo! 
Uh, no, we, we had five deaths here. In Montgomery? No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. State, statewide, we had five deaths. Yeah. Yeah, Montgomery County won. Um, but you, how many, how many uh, cases confirmed in Montgomery County? Uh, it was 255. Wow. So it was just 108 the other day. Yeah, or early yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's jumping quick. Um, that's, see, like where we're at, uh, Lake County, Indiana, isn't that bad. Like we're at 68, but we're next door to Cook County, Illinois, which is right. Chicago. And that's 2,200 and let's see, 2,239 with 20 deaths so far. So right. it's like, yeah, our, our county may not be, it may not look that bad, but we're, we're right next door. Um, but I don't know. Any, anyway, on to uh, on a different conversation. Okay. So obviously the, the one thing I gotta, I gotta ask and talk about briefly, cause I don't want to, you know, go, go too far into it, I guess. But uh, you were recently on the Joe Rogan experience podcast. I was. And so I, I'm interested to find out what it was like to uh, go hang out with him for, for a couple hours. Oh, it was great. Uh, you know, very welcoming, uh, warm individual, very knowledgeable about, about you know, the topics that, uh, that he, um, he brings his guests on. And I guess, you know, he has a variety of guests. Certainly, I've been one of the different ones. And uh, he seemed very interested in my, uh, in my topic. He knew a lot. And um, I really enjoyed talking to him, you know. Um, uh, like I said, you know, he, he, he conversed very well on, on the subject, you know, which made it easy for me, you know, to not, to not have to explain everything, um, you know, except for, you know, listeners out there, things, you know, that were, were maybe a little more complex. Yeah, I, I, I got the, it just popped up in my YouTube. Yeah. And, I, I, and it was like 15 minutes from you, you sending me the message. Yeah. And uh, uh, Kay Francis Norris, uh, a guest on the show before, what a, a local comic. He's like, dude, uh, Daryl Davis was on uh, on Joe Rogan. He was like, you remember the guy? I was like, yeah, I remember the guy. I talked to him <laughs> twice. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm, I've already selfishly claimed him as one of my uncles. Like, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he's an OG man. Like, hell yeah, I was. We t- I tuned in and watched it, and Brian messaged me, and I was like, oh, this is so dope. And I couldn't just help but think we scooped Joe Rogan on Daryl Davis. Like, I got to talk to, you know, a, re- a really dope dude before well, Joe Rogan. I, I just like, like, I because I originally heard your name and heard what you were about. I can't remember the guest that, w- that, that mentioned you, but it was somebody on Rogan mentioned, yeah, this guy Daryl Davis and, you know, 200 KKK, you know, this and that. And. It's like, oh, I'm going to look him up. And, you know, that's when I ended up sending you an email. So I just think it's awesome that, you know, through random mention of your name on Rogan, um, you know, reached out and you're uh, welcoming enough to uh, indulge us in uh, just BSing with us for, for a while. Uh, well, I'm very happy to do so, man. So Always enjoy conversations. But, way, uh, you know, that's what I do anyway, right? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not usually with people like you, but people, people who don't <laughs> like me. <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, so. I I think I I kind of find it 
a little fascinating to be somebody uh, who who doesn't indulge in uh, any of the libations that that most of the guests on his show enjoy, like, uh, you know, either whether it be drinking or um, pot or, you know, ayahuasca or whatever. (laughs) So like the, you know, the, 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 the ultimate man cave experience. uh, Did you, did you do anything, anything while you Uh, I never believe, believe it or not, believe it or not. I've never had a drink and I've never had a lit cigarette in my mouth. I've never done drugs other than what a doctor has prescribed for some ailment mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, you know we, we, had a, we had a bar in my house uh, growing up that could rival anybody's bar. Uh, my, my parents both drank, you know, socially, and they entertained a lot. But uh, I, was, I was just never into it. It never, it never drew me, you know. And, um, and growing up, uh, you know, seeing all that, I see people come over to the house, you know, straight as an arrow and then be falling out the door when they leave. Um, that, you know, that was not my thing. Uh, then I, you know, I got into music and I see people become alcoholics. I see people, I see people get involved in drugs. Uh, next thing you know, they're, you know, they're, they're dying, uh, either an overdose or they're being killed or, you know, or they're in jail. Uh, you know, that's not for me. That's not, you know, that's not what I want. And people and that- tell me that I'm crazy enough as it is without it. <laughs> well that's last time you were on we talked about uh was it was it eric clapton that gave you the bottle of booze yeah yeah in fact um hang on one second yeah it's right here um well i i can't remember i'm gonna have to have him rehash the story because i can't remember it was given to, given to eric clapton by somebody and then given yeah, to it right here? yeah it's, it's empty now yeah it's empty but yeah, this is this is it right here, and I I will never let it go. Yeah. So uh, I, the 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 old the old old school bottle of Hennessy. Yeah. Um. Now I can't remember specifically. You're gonna have to go over the story again if you don't okay. mind. But it was it was given to Clapton by somebody and then given yeah. to you. Well, you know, Muddy Muddy Waters, the late great. Oh, okay, Muddy that's Waters. that's who it was. Okay, he he was uh, you know the father of um, of Chicago blues. You know, he came from the Mississippi Delta. Yeah, you know, followed by a lot of others, and um, all of these uh, British um, blues players, rock players, you know, came out of the American school of the blues. They all followed Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf, Elmore James, BB King, you know, people like that. You know, all the white guys. All the white guys. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, because you know that's all you had in the UK. You didn't have any black. Uh, blues players in the UK. Yeah, right. You know? so, right, right. <laughs> so anyway, um, Eric Clapton being one of them, uh, you know, back when he was with uh, the Yardbirds, yeah. you know, later on with Cream, et cetera. And, uh, you know, when, when Muddy and people like that would tour over in the UK back in the 60s and stuff, groups that Eric Clapton played in would be the opening bands. You know, they, you know, they would open up for Muddy Waters. And then later on, of course, uh, Eric Clapton became a superstar off of the blues, off the, off the music that Muddy Waters, you know, uh, imparted to, to everybody. Um, Muddy Waters was also the, uh, the root responsible for Chuck Berry, you know? So anyway, uh, there was a tour back, you know, over here where, where I live back in the um, late 70s. And um, Pine Top Perkins, was uh, Muddy's piano player. And Pine Top is one of the fathers of blues and boogie-woogie piano. 
And in fact, he taught me, he and Johnny Johnson, Chuck Berry's original piano player, taught me how to play that style, you know, outside of school. I majored in music and jazz at Howard University, but you know, you don't learn boogie-woogie in school. Not at all. You gotta feel that. <laughs> you gotta feel that. Yeah. So, so these guys, you know, these original people actually taught me hands-on. And so uh, Eric Clapton was at our big arena called the Capitol Center. Uh, it's, like, it's like our Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. It's gone now. But uh, anyway, um, uh, Muddy was there, and uh, he was opening up uh, for Eric Clapton. And so when Pine Top would come to town with Muddy Waters, Pine Top would stay at my house. And that's how I, I would get my lessons. So I drove Pine Top to the, uh, to, to the Cap Center, and we're backstage, and, uh, and, and Eric comes up, and he says to, uh, to Muddy, I have a gift for you. And um, he gives Muddy this, this, uh, this thing, and Muddy opens it up, and he goes, oh, Eric, you know, I'm on the wagon now, because you know, this Hennessy was, was his favorite drink. He had it all the time, and so would Pine Top. And um, so I'm standing there with, with Pine Top and Muddy and Eric, and uh, he says, um, uh, is it okay if I give it to my boy? And he was, he was referring to me. And Eric said, yeah, you know, you do, you know, you do whatever you want to do, it's, it's, your, you know, it's yours. And so Muddy gave it to me, assuming that, you know, maybe I drank or something. Well, I wasn't gonna say I didn't drink. <laughs> right, yeah. right, you just got a cold bottle, yeah. Right, all I said was thank you. <laughs> I thank both him and Eric, right? And so um, I took it home because it, it meant something to me, from Eric Clapton to Muddy Waters to me. And I set it on the mantelpiece. Uh, you know, I was, I was at home, you know, uh, with my parents. I set it on the mantelpiece of our fireplace. And it stayed there. And every time I walked past that, you know, the family room, you know, I mean, I, I would see it uh, or it would be there, you know, and I wouldn't see it because I, I was so used to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, how long, how long later, maybe eight months, um, having to walk by there and something attracted my eye. And what it was, was something was out of place or actually something wasn't in place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. There, there, was a, there was an empty space on the mantelpiece. And uh, I, you know, I went over there, I'm like, what the heck? You know? And I didn't see it. And I'm, I'm looking at, you know, we had, uh, we had some shelves that had booze on the shelves. Uh, you know, like, you know, if we had parties and stuff, I looked there, said, okay, maybe somebody put it there. No, it wasn't there. Um, I looked behind, we, we had a bar downstairs. I looked in the bar. It wasn't there. It wasn't anywhere. And I was freaking out. I was freaking out. My mom and dad were not at home. Um, I don't know where they were at the time. And um, I was freaking out. And, and uh, all day long, I looked for that bottle. Well, finally, I gave up. I figured I, I, I have to wait until one of my parents comes home because uh, they will know where it is. And uh, I, I had no idea how long it had been missing. Had, had somebody come by and stolen it? Because, you know, I told people the story. and Maybe they thought it was, you know, this is a great souvenir. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea. And um, I was in the kitchen getting something to eat. And when I finished, I went to scrape off my, my plate into the trash can. And mm. there it was. Wow. I'm like, what? And I, I reached down, picked it up, and the yeah. damn thing was empty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. So my, my, my dad had been drinking it, you know, over that time. And when he, when he emptied it, he threw it away. Uh, I mean, so, it, course, it, I at least it was. Time. 
At, at least it was it empty. Huh? At, at least it was empty if it's going to be in the garbage. You know, at least it yeah, went to good yeah. use before it got tossed. Yeah. And so I took it out and washed it off and put it in my room. And, man, I let him have it. <laughs> what <are you> doing? <laughs> did, now, did he know the story behind the bottle or no? Yeah, he didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> How did your parents feel about uh, you uh, being an artist and, and pursuing that? Well, you know, they, they want something more. I know most artists, when they say, tell their parents, you know, I want to be a musician full time. I want to be a comic full time. I want to be an actor full time. You know, I, I want to be a painter, whatever. They freak out because they're like, it's not concrete. You right. know, it it takes a lot to be the best or they, they don't want to see you struggle. You know, they want something. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and And my parents were no different. In okay. fact, my parents are probably even a lot harder on me. Um, even even though each one of them, not, neither of them were professional musicians, but each one of them could play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my both my dad and mom played a little bit of piano, and my and my uh, my dad played a little bit of saxophone. But this was all before I was born. Okay. Um, you know, I would hear them play a little bit in the house, but you know, it wasn't like on a regular basis. You know, they couldn't you know really go out and do a gig. Um, but given their background, uh, a couple of things. One, you know, they, you know, they were black, and so times were tough for them growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to work multiple jobs, you know, to make ends meet. My dad had to work three jobs to go through college. Uh, my mom was also a college graduate. They both had master degrees. My dad was working on his PhD. My dad spoke nine languages fluently. My mom was a teacher, taught both math and high school. Um, they took me around the world because my dad's job in the foreign service. So uh, I, you know, they valued education tremendously and they valued, as you put it, stability mm-hmm. tremendously. Uh, they knew the struggles that, that, uh, that a musician would have, let alone a black musician. So they were totally against it, totally against it. And, uh, you know, they were hoping, you know, that I would choose some, some endeavor, you know, that I could do, maybe something related to the diplomatic corps, you know, having done so much traveling and all that. And I spoke a foreign language. I spoke French fluently uh, at the time. And, um, you know, I was, I was hard set on, on being a musician. I'd seen Chuck Berry, I'd seen Elvis Presley, and I, and I made up my mind, that's what I was gonna do. Now, until that point, until that point in time, I was, um, I was struggling between choosing one of two vocations that was pulling at me in opposite directions with equal force. On one, ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated with two things. Computers, which took up more space than the room that you're sitting in at yeah. the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, I knew there was money to be had in computers. I never dreamed they'd, they'd become the size of my cell phone. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but I knew they would, you know, they would get smaller, and uh, and there was money there. So I wanted to be a computer programmer. And then on the other side, uh, my hero was James Bond. I wanted to be a spy. I wanted to be an espionage agent. <laughs> okay. And, you know, that, that really <laughs> Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight up, and, I feel that. Yeah, and, and and to this day, you know, and and if, and if this disappears, I'm gonna really be upset but my father won't have taken it because he's gone. But um, to this day, I still have 
my James Bond 007 briefcase, you know, and you push the handle, it fires plastic bullets. And, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I got my, my James Bond 007 decoder belt. Oh, yeah, I got all kinds of stuff. Oh, you know, that's cool. That I got back in, in the 1960s, man. Yeah, you know? right, right. So anyway, uh, spying and computer programming. And each one was pulling at me equally. So I was immobilized in the middle. I couldn't move either way. And I kept trying to figure out, well, how can I be both? How can I have two careers? Mm -hmm. Well, at the time, there was no way to combine that. Today, yeah. of course, you can do it. It's called cyber espionage. Right. But, you know, we didn't have that back then. And so later on in high school, and I, I always liked music, and I couldn't play anything. So I was never a member of the marching band or jazz band, concert band or whatever. Um, I didn't have, you know, you know that ability. That, that was not my skill set. Um, I had friends who were in those bands, and they would show me, the, you know, and they were also, some of them were in little rock and roll bands outside of school. So, you know, they would show me different things and I would practice them. Well, so I learned to play by ear. Uh, later on, um, uh, around 11th grade, I went out and bought books and taught myself how to read music. And so I learned how to read, but I had bad habits. I was not using the, you know, the correct uh, fingering on the, on the piano. It's like somebody being self-taught how to type. You know, you do that hunt pet thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's how I was playing. But I, I could read and I could play. So uh, I decided, you know, um, after seeing uh, Elvis and Chuck, that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make people happy because those people had made millions of people happy all over the world without ever having seen them, just touching them with their music. I thought, you know, that's, you know, that's really cool. Um, you know, you all have heard Elvis's music. You all have heard Chuck Berry's music. But, you know, do you all ever see them? Do you all ever meet them? No. No. But, you yeah. know, but you've been affected by it. So I said, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. That's what I want to do. So um, my, my goal became, you know, to meet those people. Uh, I, I, you know, that was a little tougher, mm -hmm. uh, but, I did, but I did that. And then um, when I told them I was going to major in music, you know, they freaked out. Daryl, you know, you need to do something, you know, that, you, that you know, you're capable of doing. Uh, you know, you, you, you're going to be competing against people who've had lessons since age five and whatever else. Uh, I didn't care. And my mom kept telling me, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, why don't you major in something you can do and you can minor in music? So, so sorry to interrupt, but so yeah. she was, she was more concerned about capabilities than sustainability. Oh, uh, they both were. Uh, well, well she, well, she was concerned about, about uh, sustainability too. Yeah. But, but in order to, to sustain, you got to be capable. So I, I, I had no capability. You know, I mean, when, when you take somebody who's, who's going from high school with no formal training, and he's not a prodigy, and he's going there to compete with people who've had lessons since age three, age five, whether they're you know, a trumpet player or a piano player or a guitar player or whatever, violin player, you know, how, do you, how do you compare that? How do you compare oh. somebody who just got their driver's license yesterday with somebody who's been driving for 20 years? Okay, so this was like you, you had no experience with instruments and all of a sudden it was, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. Right, I'm, I'm going to throw myself in, into the pool with no swimming lessons. Okay, now now I understand the the worry for uh, capabilities there. And of course, of course, you know, what did I want to play? I wanted to play fifties rock and roll. Right. Well, you know, you know, what what college do you know 
that, that you, when you major in music and you play Elvis, <laughs> Chuck yeah, Berry, and right. Little Richard, and Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, it, that wasn't happening back then in the 70s. Um, and, and jazz was, was still very, very new as far as being a major that you could major in in music. No, oh, okay. You could major in classical music. But most colleges, you know, did not give you a degree in jazz. Most did not even teach jazz. So uh, when I came to Howard University, that was the second year that jazz was being taught. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, you know, we argued day in and day out. And um, finally, finally, you know, they said, you know, well, why don't you major in something you can do and you can play music on the weekends? That, that was not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a full-time musician. Yeah. And um, my father finally just gave up and said, okay, you know, tell my mom, just, you know, just let him go. He's hard-headed. And, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, he'll see, he'll flunk out the first semester and, um, and he, will, he will, you know, come to his senses and, and change his major. So, you know, fortunately, my, my parents paid my entire tuition. You know, I didn't have to pay a dime. And um, I went there and guess what? My first semester, I made the dean's honor roll. Ooh. And I graduated four years later with my degree in music. Now, see, uh -huh. that, that, that says something to determination. Yes, right there. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, from, from going, going from basically zero to 60, the way that you did, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I, I mean, I don't think there's any other way to say other than determina determination. And I, I'm sure there's some, uh, a little bit of, you, you said your parents both played instruments, uh, but not professionally. I mean, a little bit of, uh, inherited natural intuition there yeah. but i mean that that's got to be 95 percent well you know I, i'll tell you what um i don't want to give myself the entire credit and i'm not just being humble or something um i'll tell you what it was number one uh it, it wasn't that i had all that much talent my, my my biggest talent was my ability to discipline myself to practice I would keep doing it over and over that's and over That's the greatest talent to have right there. Until I got it. Okay, that's the, some people, that's the greatest talent. Yeah, you know, some people, you know, <laughs> they try it 10 times and, and it's not happening. It's like, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm a perfect example of that because, that's, <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, uh, my, my cousin Jim tried, you know, he, he played guitar when we were teenagers. And, you know, he tried teaching me a couple of simple chords. Uh -huh. And after, after a couple of, you know, uh, teenage lessons, you know, whatever, um, it was like, I, I tried and it's like, nope, I, I can't get my fingers to move that way. I, I just, I can't play guitar. That's it. I'm done. Where, <laughs> whereas if, if, if I would have had some determination, maybe I could have been able to learn how to move my fingers that way instead right. of just telling myself, nope, my fingers just don't move that way. I'm done. But I, I right. think it was a little well, that, you know, more inside of them too. Like, like that determination is it's a little bit of i i don't know how to verbally articulate it but um determination met with i'm going to show you yeah but it's it's a feeling inside that a lot of us tend to ignore sometimes like that voice, like, this is what you need to be doing, or it just lingers around and lingers around, and nobody else knows it. They can't. Oh, it's, called, it. it's called uh, intuition. Intuition, right. 
And, and when you've got that and you just, you know what, it's, it, it's you, you verbally may say, I think I can do this. Yeah. But in your mind, you, you know. You, uh, you, uh, you froze there for about 15 seconds. Oh, what you said. Oh, I was saying, uh, you know, it starts out like, I think I can do this. Yeah. But you really feel like it, it's a knowing, like, you know what? No, this is, this is it. And nobody else knows it. Nobody else is going to understand it, but this is it. And after that, it's, I've just, you got to block out all the noise. Right. They, I got to go do this. Okay. Going to go do this. Yeah. The, 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 that is called inherent intuition. Yeah. Only, only you know it, only you feel it. Okay? Yeah. But, um, but back, back, to the, back to the credit, I don't take all the credit for it. Uh, I'll tell you what, what, I was, uh, what I was blessed with. Um, at, at my school, the, uh, the kids that, uh, that, that were there in my classes who all just blew me away musically. And I, I, was, I was nowhere near their lead. As you know, there is no substitute for experience. Yeah. You know? Now, I can take a book. I can take any kind of book. I don't care what it is. Physics, music, whatever. I can read it and I can sponge that information. I can absorb it and understand it. But when it comes to applying it, that's where the experience comes in. Yeah. You know, like, like I said, you know, you can, just because you get your driver's license that day or you pass the uh, bar doesn't make you a good lawyer until you have that experience. Yeah. So uh, all these kids that were in my classes had far more years, more experience than I did. However, unlike some schools, where uh, the kids are, are more competitive. Uh, the kids at, at, uh, at Howard were more cooperative. So they would see me struggling or, or screwing something up, and they would say, hey, Daryl, you know, after class, come down to my, to my uh, practice room and let me show you how, how I would approach that. And so, you know, I'd go down there, and, and they show me little shortcuts and little tricks, you know, how to read the grand staff or the music or whatever. Um, and that helped me a great deal. So, um, you know, that got me through in, uh, in four years. So I, it, it seems kind of similar, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like when I I've noticed when, when I play disc golf or golf or whatever, uh, if, if I'm playing with somebody who isn't good or never played before I play worse, like it's, it's like, it's, it's my first you play day. down to your competition. Yeah. But if I'm playing somebody, like I've got a couple friends that are, you know, uh, uh, I guess semi-pro or whatever. I've, mm -hmm. I've played with uh, some, some, uh, some quality some, talent. Yeah, some, tw some, some talent, yeah. Uh, and I, I've noticed that when I play with somebody with talent versus somebody without talent, like when I'm playing with talent, somehow my, yeah, my, my game is better. You elevate. Yeah. Because you know. It's, yeah. show, it's, it's show time. Yeah, you, but you don't want to. You don't want to get. You, you don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you know you want to show your skill. Uh, you know what? I I'm out here for a reason. I can do this. Yeah, I I belong. You want to belong. But if you if you surround yourself with people that are better than you, absolutely. Like eventually, eventually, just you're, naturally, you're, you're going you're, to you're, you're going, going to, to perform better. better. Yeah, you're gonna get better. What so. is it? Uh, steel sharpens steel. Or what is yeah. it? Iron sharpens iron. Whatever it is. So yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you. Um, I I recently well, I had saw it before, but I recently rewatched uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. 
You know, uh, I still haven't seen that. It's a really good movie. That's really good movie. Where, where, where were you at when Live Aid went down in 1985? Yeah. Like every major act was on that show. Yeah. Even Eric Clapton performed. Yeah, everybody did. Just about. Do you remember where you were at 1985 when that went down? Because apparently it like stopped the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I had I had just uh, joined uh, the legendary blues band, which in fact was Muddy Waters' uh, old band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muddy had had uh, had passed away. Uh, the band uh, had had remained intact. They left, you know, Muddy, and uh, and they changed their name to the legendary blues band. Uh, Pine Top Perkins, who was the piano player, uh, he he had left to to uh, move on to performing solo on his own, mm-hmm. and he gave me his uh, piano spot in the band. That's where I was in 1985. And I toured all over the country in Canada uh, with them until 1988, at which time I left to form my own band. Right. What, what would you have done to perform at Live Aid? <laughs> what I've done? You mean in, in terms like, of... Like, because, like, I mean, that was like, if you were an artist, that was like the grandest stage Apparently, after I watched the, the movie, I was like, man, I, I never remember hearing about this concert that was so huge. Yeah. Like it, it, they, it, well, in the movie, they made it seem like it was a world stopper. Yeah. And but, uh, I mean, it was. It was. You know, that and concert for Bangladesh. And yeah, you know, there were other ones uh, as well. Farm Aid, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, Woodstock and whatever else. But, right. Uh, um, have, I mean, you been been great. have you ever Pardon been to those concerts? Have you ever been to, like, those concerts, Woodstock? And- uh, no, I, did, I, I didn't go to the original one. Uh, I was invited to, uh, to number two, and I did oh. not go. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, I heard it was the best. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, do, do you, musically, uh, touring musically, do you have, like, a favorite a favorite experience or spot that that you've been to, or uh, I guess just a, I, th- I think favorite experience is probably the the way to go here. Um, uh, you, ever, you ever like perform in front of a? You ever perform in front of like a president or like a dictionary oh, yeah. or anything oh, he, like that? He, he performed yeah. with a president. I, I exactly yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. but no I, I mean more along the lines of like do, do you have like a favorite show that you performed at of all time uh my my well yeah I, I have many but but for different reasons but yeah. um but I will say that my favorite experiences uh have been performing with Chuck Berry you know there, there's nothing like it nothing yeah. like it in the world I mean I've, I've played before a hundred thousand people you know, at stadiums and, and things like that. I played Bridgenfest um, with him. Um, you know, and, and there's that, that experience of all those people uh, singing along to his songs. Who doesn't know the words to Johnny Be Good or at least Go Johnny Go, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you hear that many people singing the song as you're playing it. Yeah. And, you know, that, that song is my favorite song of all time. Um, and, and to be on stage playing it with the man who wrote it it's just euphoric. Yeah. Um, but also playing in a small club where, you know, you're right up there with the audience, right, right there. You can reach out and check their hand and touch them. You know, that also is a great experience. So I've had it from both, 
you know, the distance and, and the crowd to the small uh, club uh, intimacy. Well, and of course, all along the way, you know, you, you pay your dues playing in toilets and bars and, you know, other places where people, you know, break out into a fight. <laughs> all kinds of right. Crazy, so crazy so what, what are the pros and cons versus the, the dive bar versus the 100,000 person crowd? Um, well, there are pros to, uh, to all of it. You know, you, you start off at the dive bar because you got to pay your dues. You know, you got to learn, you know, learn the ropes. Uh, you do some gigs, you know, where somebody doesn't want to pay you or they run out with the money. You know, we all have gone through that before. Yes. Um, you know, you, you learn how, <laughs> how to enforce a contract pretty quick and how to use contracts. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're paying your dues. You, you, you learn what it takes. And, um, you know, that, that's something that a lot of young kids don't, you know, don't, don't get when they, when they form bands, you know, you've got to go through these, through these steps. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, when you do get to, to the top level, if you do, um, you won't, you won't, you won't have had that experience. You won't know what you're doing. And that's why a lot of musicians who come in because, you know, their, their daddy was a music, uh, was an icon or whatever. Uh, you know, they, they get ripped off. Uh, they, you know, they don't know anything about, about managers or agents. Um, you know, they might have a hit record, but they don't have one dime in the bank. Well, I oh, think, yeah, that's, I, that's I, happening a lot. I, yeah. I, think, I think you kind of see the same thing today with, exactly. with internet sensations that have never played in front of a crowd. Thank you. And, you know, they, they have no live experience, but they have such a great following that as soon as they get in front of a crowd, they fold. Right. You know, but right. is, exactly. is there, get it. is there, is there anything that you would want to do or any reason why that you would want to go back and play a dive bar? Um, um, you know, I, I still do from time to time uh, just for fun or I have friends in bands and I'll show up, you know, and perhaps sit in with them or something like that. Or if someplace that I used to play uh, is having some kind of benefit, uh, you know, that I think is worthwhile. Um, I'll lend my name to it in, in my time. Um, but no, I, I don't, I don't do that on a, on a, uh, on a, you know, regular basis anymore. I, I've grown from that. Well, I, I, I just didn't, I don't, I don't forget where I came from. Well, no, I just didn't know if there was any, like anything that within the dive bar experience that like you, you, you long for or anything that you want to go back to, to reminisce with or anything like that. Um, versus, a crowd, I guess. Uh, I like it all. And, and I, like, I like spaces where people are there to see and feel and hear the music. Yeah. Regardless of, of, of what that space is. Is it a dive bar? Is it a posh swank club? You know, is it a concert hall? Is it a festival? Um, one thing I don't like um, are sports bars. Uh, absolutely fucking well that's because you have oh somebody God. doing this yeah you while know, you're playing oh back my there God, and, it's and in my in my in my contracts you know back when i was playing those you know those bars and things like that uh you know cause, because a, a lot of bars became sports bars mm -hmm. now nothing wrong with sports don't get me wrong okay but if you're going to have sports have sports if i don't gonna have if you're going to have music then have music don't try to combine both of them you can't combine and in my in my contracts i have uh, that all TVs uh, in the stage area must be turned off during the band's performance. Yeah. Now, a lot of these sports bars have like 
30 TVs all around the bar, you know? Yeah. Okay, fine. You know, you want to watch TV? You go over there. But the TV's above my head on my stage? No. They have to be off. Absolutely. Unless it's closed circuit TV and you're broadcasting my performance. Yeah, absolutely. Or the part of the uh, club. Absolutely. I totally so you know, concur. You know, you, know, you know what happens? You know what happens is um, you'll be playing a ballad, a nice, soft, easy ballad, <laughs> and somebody yeah! Will, yeah, exactly, a touchdown <laughs> or a basket. <laughs> Absolutely. It happens. It is horrible. Yeah. It is horrible. As a comic, it's the worst feeling That's, when I walk I, into a gig and immediately I look around and I – the first thing I do now, I've, I, I had to, first of all, like you said, you got to pay your dues. Yeah. So I went through trying to perform with the TVs on and this, that, and other, and all that other shit. And then now, recently, like just this year, I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. So now it's <laughs> it, immediately I must uh, go get the manager and I'm like, yo, um, or whoever the promoter is, I'm like, when I perform, I need those TVs off. All right. Yeah. I, I, I got to have them off. Like, they, they have to be off. It's got to be a great feeling to be up there playing music or doing comedy and you still hear the jukebox. <laughs> like Daryl said, though, you, you want, when you're performing, you want this uh, undivided attention. Yeah, but it's a back and forth of energy. Yeah. That, and that, and, that, and that, people, okay. Okay. The people you who are sitting. Feel it and you want to feel them. The people no. who are sitting in front of the stage, they're there to see you. Yeah. Right, and, right. And it's, also, it's also disrespectful to them. Yeah. You know? Um, and I'll tell you, I, I, I won't name the uh, club, but um, I got into it one time with, uh, with a manager. You know, we, we, had, we had showed up uh, on time to, uh, to, to play, and, and there were dinner tables uh, in the area where, where the stage was. What they do is they, they clear it, you know, after dinner and the band sets up or whatever. Right. It's a long time ago. And um, so, you know, we got there early to set up. People were having dinner. It's not my job to tell people, hey, finish up your dinner so I can set up my uh, equipment. Right. You know, yeah. dinner, right? We wait. And so start at 9 o'clock. It gets to be, to be about 8.40 and they're paying their bill. So, um, you know, the busboys all come in and rush and try to change over. And we get set up. And the manager comes by and goes, you know, how long is it going to take, you know, for y'all to start? And it's supposed to start at 9 o'clock. I said, well, it might be 5 after. I said, you know, I don't want to rush, you know, your, your, your dinner guests out of here. He goes, okay, we're just, you know, just, just trying to start as soon as possible. I said, okay. So there were three TVs above me. I counted about 28 TVs around the restaurant. So the TVs were too high for me to reach up and touch the button. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the uh, waitresses was walking by. I said, hey, excuse me, can you get the remotes and turn these TVs off? We're ready to start. And so she kept on going. And so I, we're, we're sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And um, the manager comes back and goes, hey, are you all going to start or what? And you know, this is our first gig there. And um, I said, well, I need these TVs off. He goes, no, 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 they, they don't go off. They're, they're, they're muted, but they don't go off. I said, oh, no, 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 no. They have to go off. I said, right. you signed my contract. It's in my contract. The TVs go off. He says, they don't go off here. I said, yes, they do, or I don't play. He goes, you don't play. You don't get paid. I said, you know what? We're out of here. I yeah. said, you, you see that table right there and that table and that table? Let's go over there. They're here to see me. I said, I said when, you, when you have a staff meeting uh, and you call your, your bartenders and your waitresses and waiters, do you have a TV going on behind you while, while, while you're talking to them? I don't think so. I said, you show me that, that same respect. I told my drummer, I said, start packing up. 
So everybody started packing. He goes, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, I'll turn them off this time, but you'll never play here again. I said, you know what? I said, I was playing before this place opened, and I'll still be playing. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. And so he went and got the remotes, click, 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 turned them off, right? And we played. And at the end of the night, uh, he was already gone. Uh, the bartender paid us. And, uh, and that was that. So the next day, he calls my secretary, who's the one who books the band, because he thinks that's my agent. So he doesn't realize that she works for me, right? <laughs> and he, he's complaining about Daryl Davis and, uh, and, and, and how rude I was to him and so forth and so on and the TV thing. And she says, hey, look, man, you know, I'm the one who sent you the contract and you signed the contract. It says right there in paragraph number whatever, all TVs within the staging area must be turned off during the band's performance. And so he, that was that. So about three months later, he calls, he calls and wants the band back by popular demand. Oh, yeah. So, so we come back and, and we're setting up. He walks by. He goes, I know the deal. Click, click, click. He turns off yeah. the TVs <laughs> exactly. before we even asked him, right? And so then the place closed down, you know, eventually. And I'm downtown one day. I walk into this restaurant downtown in D.C. And, and um, I'm having uh, lunch with a friend of mine. And, and here comes this manager. Now he works down there at this place. And, and he's all friendly and stuff. And he wanted piano lessons. So, wow. so I, gave, I gave him three piano lessons. Let me tell you something. Daryl Davis is a legend, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like he just meets people and they're assholes and then he changes them from being well, assholes. Well, I, I think there's, <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of lessons that could be learned through your experiences. Uh, obviously mainly with racism and whatnot, but also in like with that story there, just, all right, being able to tuck your tail between your legs and learn a lesson, um, you know, all right, this, this is, this is how it goes here. You got to deal with it or you don't. Well, no, I'm not going to deal with it. All right. Well, then we're done. And then what, a, a, a few weeks later, all right, you know what? You were right. I could admit that we want you back. Well, you know, it's I, about I, not compromising your integrity. Yeah. Like, like and, if you so listen it, to the story, the guy, he, first of all, I know, you know, Daryl knows, the bartender there knew, and the people knew those TVs don't stay on overnight. Yeah. Right? Like those TVs cut off. Yeah. I'm not performing. And the first thing he said was, just to show you how people try to bait you with money, oh, well, if you don't perform, you don't get paid. Yeah. Okay, I'm packing my shit up because in my contract, it clearly states I do not perform. Yeah. I'm not going to risk performing when I know the pitfall of performing already with TVs on. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to do it for the price that I quoted you at. I'm not, I'm not doing it at all. It's, this is part of the price. It's not monetary, but it's absolutely part of the price. I'm yeah, not right. doing it. And, and we, are, we are our worst enemy and, you know, because we don't, we don't advocate for ourselves. Exactly. You know, um, you know, we, you know so, some of it is ego. We, we prefer to, to have this you know, than, than, yeah. you know, than money you know, or be seen on stage or 15 minutes of fame or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we do ourselves and other artists a disservice mm-hmm. when we cave in to stuff like that. You know, if, if a plumber tells you uh, when your pipe breaks and you call, you know, Johnny, Johnny come here, and pl- and Johnny Plumber, and he, he says to you over the phone, okay, my, my, my hourly rate is 75 an hour and I charge a $20 travel fee, that's it. Yeah. You, can't, you can't bring him over there and then tell him, well, you know, um, my, my, my pipe isn't that big, so I'm only going to pay you $50 an hour. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, 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 and he's not gonna stand for it. You know, no. get back in his van and sue you. Yeah, it it doesn't work that way. Like when you're an artist, you know what you need to be successful. Yeah, but to have the best showing this night, we need to set the stage this way. This gives the audience their attention on me. It helps me have my attention on them, so we could just be in the moment. Yeah, we could just be in the moment, man. That's all you want. It from I think it's. Can you walk me through, I, I know we're backing up just a little bit, when mm-hmm. you said you performed with Chuck Berry in front of like 100,000 people. What's that like the first time you do it? Like you've been doing maybe 100, 300, you know, maybe 5,000, but then all of a sudden you get that stadium gig. Are you nervous? Or is there a different preparation you take? What's going on in your mind that first time you're, because at that point, do you, like, go back and do, like, that reel of your parents saying, oh, man, he's going to flunk out. Oh, you're not going to make it. Oh, man, you need to do something else. As you're walking to the piano and then, you know, you're getting ready to, like, you hear the crowd scream. You've got to feel that energy. Do you just – do you black out? Like, what is that like? No, you, you, you feel it as soon as you arrive uh, uh, at, at the venue. I mean, you just feel that energy. Uh, I mean, some people get nervous, but you know what? Uh, there's no reason to be nervous. Uh, those people are there to, to, you know, to see you and support you. Not necessarily me, but Chuck Berry. Right. As, but, but, but whoever's with him yeah. is, part, is part of him. Yeah. So they're there for that. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're there to cheer you on. And as soon as he hits the stage, there is a loud roar you know, from the audience. And, and you just feel it. Now, he's probably, well, there's no problem about it. He was accustomed to it, all right? So, you know, the first time I would hear something like that, it did not make me nervous, but I felt euphoric, like, wow. You know, this is incredible. And then when you hear, you know, he, he'll start singing a song and the audience will, like, finish it off because they all know the words. You know, that's just you know, incredible. It's just um, it's something, you know, that I really can't, can't explain. Um, but for some people, um, larger crowds are less intimidating than, um, than smaller intimate crowds. Yes. Because, you know, when you have 100,000 people or even 10 or 20,000 people, um, the people in the back, you know, they can't see you. You know, you look like a microdot to them yeah. unless they have on binoculars. <laughs> So, so, so why are you intimidated by, by those people all the way back there half yeah. a quarter of a mile away at the end of the football field, mm-hmm. you know? But when you're, in a, when you're in a small club and people are sitting right up there by the stage, you know, and they're looking at you, you know, every mistake you think you might make, <laughs> you, you, you're trying not to make. That's dope. I've been listening to, um, it's so funny, uh, we're chopping it up with you now. I was listening to uh, Piano Man by Billy Joel. Yeah. Yeah. 
recently. I was I was actually just in Vegas. Classic last night um, song or last last call song. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I was in Vegas for the uh Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight. Were you? Yeah. And um uh it was a group of us, my big brother, it was his birthday. So it was about like twenty of us. We all just went out there to kind of just like hang out, go to the fight. And uh we were walking through um Planet Hollywood's casino and they had a pianist in the casino and he was playing uh piano man by Billy Joel and my uh his wife and I we started singing and I hadn't heard the song in so long and I didn't realize I knew the lyrics I I, <laughs> I didn't realize I knew the lyrics and then after that literally every week I j I just listened to it in on repeat like six times yesterday because I couldn't get over the lyrics uh -huh. <laughs> of, of, of Piano Man by Billy Joel. And I was like, it just hit me. I was like, this is the performer's anthem. Like those words, those people, they're there to see the Piano Man, all what they're going through. Oh yeah. They're there to see him. And in that last stance, is the manager telling them, yo, they're here to see you. Yeah. Give them what they need. And I mean, and, and, and I envision it as a small, intimate setting, you know? And like, that is the greatest feeling of performing. Yeah. That, yeah. that for me, is the greatest. I was telling somebody, we, we were having a conversation. It was like, would you prefer either getting the most money for a gig you ever had and bombing in front of a packed out crowd or getting, you know, a hundred or 250 bucks and having the best playing, set playing ever. A, playing and a free show and yeah, performing the best set. Performing yeah. the best set ever. And I said, give me the best set ever. Yeah. And they were like, well, why? I said, because that money is spent. Yeah. That money is going to be spent, but that feeling of, Oh, it didn't go well. I, I don't know about a musician, but as a comic, when you bomb, listen, for some of us, it sits a nice little, it sits a little bit longer than that money sits in your pocket. Yeah. And it doesn't feel good at all. But yeah. the feeling you get, I don't know how to describe it to anybody that that's not a performer, but the feeling you get with connecting with people whether it be a hundred thousand, which I've never experienced. I've experienced like two seventy five, three hundred mm -hmm. up to this point. Like that was like my biggest crowds, uh, which is, I mean, that's a lot of people, but to get that feeling of that connection for those 20 to 30 minutes, it is nothing like it at all. I've been in, I love my kids. I got three kids. I love my kids. I've been there for all their births and that is exhilarating. I've been in love. Listen, nothing. I was a former athlete, a track athlete. I know what it is to win major events. You know, I know what it is to perform and get your PR. I'm competitive, but there's no feeling like connecting with people, everybody in the room for those 30 minutes. Yeah. It, it is beyond an orgasm. I'm telling you, it's beyond an orgasm, which sounds crazy. But for performers, that energy, I mean, it, it, I know this, uh, what, what's the word, electrifying? Yeah. They use that a lot. I've never been electrocuted, but let me tell you something. 
if it's anything <laughs> like that, let me go stick my hand in the in the outlet right now. Cause yeah, let, me, let me grab a fork. <laughs> it's better than any drug. You there's know, no uh, there, there's no drug that can give you that. I've not look, done a lot of drugs. I have dabbled in experience. In, in, I've been I've self indulged. <laughs> uh, but I, listen, it, it's the greatest feeling ever. So I can only imagine walking out. First of all, you're walking out with Chuck Berry. Let's yeah. start there. <laughs> Let's start there. You're walking out with Chuck Berry, which is one. Are you of the- a- you asked you asked for for one of the most uh, memorable. I mean, I had a lot of them experiences. Um, you know, I, I I played with him, you know, on and off for 32 years. You know, not not every gig, but a lot, a lot of gigs. And you know, you know, he was my mentor. He was my boss. He was my friend, and my idol. And um, I, you know, I, I saw him, you know, you know, age as, mm-hmm. as, as we all do. Yeah. Um, and as, as he got older, um, you know, things became more difficult uh, for him. You know, when, when he would do the duck walk, he would not go down as low as he used to. Yeah. You know? I mean, I can't even go as low as I used to whenever <laughs> you know, something like drop on the floor. Right. <laughs> but, uh, it came, you know, to a point where, um, as we get older, we we lose the ability to uh, to multitask. Um, here's a man who played the guitar and sang and 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 danced all at the same time. Uh, it got to the point where he could do one or the other, yeah, mm-hmm. not them all at the same time. Right. So so sometimes you know you would see him start off the song on the guitar and then he would hold the guitar and and sing. Mm-hmm. That's so he could focus on the words and remember the words. Yeah. And then when he would play the guitar and do a solo for 12 bars or whatever, he might forget what song he was doing when he came back in. Uh-huh. So you know, these things happen to us all. Um, Frank Sinatra, um, you know, before he passed on, he had to use a teleprompter for his songs, songs that he had been singing for 60 years. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we all are going to experience that. You know, we all are human, are human beings. Some of us are exceptional human beings, like Frank Sinatra, like Chuck Berry, like Elvis Presley. But at the end of the day, they all are human beings. So, and, 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 and they all have a shelf life. So, um, but the experience that I had was, um, you know, we, um, because he knows that, you know, that I can play some guitar, uh, oftentimes, you know, he would come over to the piano, and he plays piano. Um, he would come over to the piano and give me his guitar. You know, very few people have ever played Chuck Berry's guitar. Give me his guitar, and, um, and he would play the piano, and I would play the guitar. Woo! You know, and, and it, yeah. it's bad enough, you know, you know, that I'm playing Chuck Berry licks in front of Chuck Berry, you know? <laughs> but, but, uh, but one time, um, just, just a few years ago, uh, we were in Pennsylvania, and he called me over, and um, I'm like, you know, what does he want? You know, isn't it in the middle of the set, you know, to the center of the stage, and he takes off his guitar, and he says, "You play Johnny Be Good." Whoa! And I said, "What? Your favorite said, song? You know, this is your song. This is your your your, your, your yeah. song. Yeah. You know, I, I just can't do it. You, you just go ahead and play it." And so I played Johnny Be Good, and. Um, I was like, wow, you know, it, it got to that point where, you know, I, I was glad to help him out, 
and, and I was sad to see it at that point. But um, I'll never forget that he entrusted me to, to, to play his guitar and play his signature song while he sang it. Yeah. What, what, how does that, okay. So you have that happen and then you get the phone call that he passes away. Right. Oh, like, man. I, it, I, I, how, I just not believe it. You know, I mean, he, he had retired, you know, about, um, almost three years before he passed. Right. And um, I was sitting at my computer uh, doing some work and Johnny Johnson, his original piano player who'd already passed, um, his wife, his widow called me and, uh, and told me. And I, I could not believe it. So of course, you know, I got the details uh, from his family and um, I went down uh, for the funeral and they had me speak at the funeral, and I played at the funeral as well. Is that like the, I mean, you're emotional. That, that had to have been like the, the, the greatest honor ever. Like to be, to be able for the family to want you to play there. You know, I mean, that had to have been the, the most incredible honor ever. You're a hero. Absolutely. You know, and um, uh, Gene Simmons from uh, Kiss. Yeah. I was there. He spoke right after me. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite musicians, uh, who who is undercredited, but I think I think he is the most incredible musician in the world. Uh, he came and was there, and his name is Paul Schaefer. You oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I I knew. I was like, he can't he can't possibly be thinking of Gene Simmons here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, pa- Paul Schaefer was there. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he took the time to do that. I was really, really, I mean, I've always respected him. Yeah. I always liked that guy. And uh, I've always been in, in, in awe of, uh, of his talent. And he is the most humble, nicest, and most knowledgeable and talented person I've ever met. So is there, is there anything left on the bucket list as far as music goes Ooh, for you to do? Question. Good question. Well, you know, um, I, you know, now I'm I'm just doing the gigs that I really want to do. I still play a lot. Well, not right now, obviously. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> not for the next three months. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I've been doing the gigs, you know, that, you know that I want to do, which are which are considerably enough. Um, I've I've dedicated most of my time now to um to doing lectures, and yeah. uh, and still doing my work with uh, white supremacists. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So that you know, that, that's really what I'm focusing on a lot more now. Have you ever played in front of white supremacy? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's his 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 original story about yeah, uh, yeah, sit, sitting down yeah. with the with the guy that's never yeah. never seen a black man play I, piano I, I, I've like even, that. I've even, you know, some some of them have even wanted to see me play. So I picked them up, taken them to my gig, and made them my roadies. That's <laughs> dope. That's so. That's so, so amazing. You know, but you so, know, let, so let, 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 let me just say some more about, about Chuck Berry and, and that uh, and that and that um, his contemporaries. Yes. You know, um, back back in you know in, in back in the day, right? Uh, doing Jim Crow and all that, uh, music venues uh, were segregated mm-hmm. if they allowed black people in at all. Yeah. 
uh, black people had certain seating sections they had to sit in. And there were ropes going around those chairs with a sign hanging down that said colored seating only. Yeah. And then others say, you know, seating for white patrons only, you know, sort of like the, the water fountain or the restrooms. Uh, so if you and I, you know, we you know, went to go see Frank Sinatra or the Glenn Miller band or whoever, we could not sit together. That was the law. If we, if we crossed that, we'd be arrested. Just yeah. like, you know, Rosa Parks in the bus. Right. right. That was the law. And most people abided by the law. You know, they stayed in their seating section. Um, and, and this law was still uh, in effect and still being enforced in the 1950s. But two phenomenons happened. One was the invention of rock and roll by Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Bo Diddley, Fats Domino. And then that invention was popularized by Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Bill Haley and the Comets, Buddy Holly, um, Carl Perkins, and many others. All right. Uh, when, when those guys came out on stage, that, that, that was the first uh, phenomenon. The second one was when those guys came out on stage playing that new music, that new beat that kids had not heard before, they bounced up out of their seats. They could not sit still. And they knocked over those ropes and those signs. And black kids and white kids began dancing in the aisles together for the first time in the history of this country. And it, it was because of rock and roll. And that caused a lot of mayors and city fathers to ban rock and roll concerts from coming to their town. Right. They did not want white kids and black kids doing that. And the police would come in and shut down those concerts right in the middle of the concert, pull the plugs out of the wall. Oh, this, this is over, you know? Um, so now, you know, you, you, you got to think about it. And think about it like this for a second. While great civil rights leaders, like both black and white, like uh, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and many others were marching, having boycotts, demonstrations, sit-ins, protests, in order to bring white adults and black adults together. These rock and roll people, Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Fast Domino, Bo Diddley, these people were achieving that. Yeah. Uh, with their music, with white kids and black kids, all right? N now, you know, on, on the last program that, you know, that we did, you know, the first two programs, we talked about planting seeds, how I, I would plant seeds with these uh, KKK members and different people. Yeah. And eventually that seed would, would grow and that's, you know, they're leaving that ideology, all right? That rock and roll, uh, when those kids got up and danced together, believe it or not, that was planting seeds. Oh, yeah. Because those kids did not go to school together. You understand? Yeah. Schools were not integrated. All right? They went to different schools, and, they were, and, the, and the towns were separated by railroad tracks. All right? Black kids on one side, white people on the other side. So now, for the first time, you know, their, their parents, you know, raised, you know, the white kids raised them to know, you know, you don't go to the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. The wrong side of the tracks was the black side. You know, these are the, are the pariah. Um, now these kids are dancing with those people and they're realizing, well, wait a minute. You know, you know these black kids are not so bad. You know, so, so, something's wrong here. Uh, so then when they would grow up 
and have kids, they did not impart as much racism to their kids as their parents had done to them. And then when their kids would grow up, the racism that they imparted to their kids would be even less. And then the next generation, by that time those kids grew up, those were the ones who voted for Barack Obama. Yeah. You understand? Because 20 years ago, Obama could not have won the presidency because so, the attitude was not ready for white people to, to put their, for enough white people to put their vote behind him. All right. But by the time that 2008 rolled around, there were enough to, um, to vote for him. It was not black people that put Obama in office. Yeah. It was white people because we only make up 12% of the U.S. population. So, like when, so when you Russell, mentioned... So we have, to, we have to give these rock and rollers their, their undue credit for what they did right. in bringing the races together on right. a youth level. They planted yeah. that seed. So when, when you mentioned, uh, you know, the white kids realizing, oh, hey, these, these black kids aren't so bad, right. um, was, was it kind of a, you know, a, a mirror image on the black side? Uh, hey, look, you know, not, you know, all the white kids aren't that bad. Or, you know, how, how, how was the opposite reaction, I guess, you know, uh, from, from I having... Think, from I having, think it was... Um, I think it was realized on both sides that it was a parental thing, but yep. the black kids were at a disadvantage. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, the white kids could go home and get yelled at or something. You know, we, we took a chance of getting locked up and beaten and right. yeah, exactly. Right. Up from a tree. Think about Emmett Till. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that, that, that was, that was our, our punishment. Um, <coughs> But they need to be credited uh, for for uh, also advancing the uh, the civil rights movement. You know these uh, these rock and roll people, and a lot of people don't you know don't don't think about it. But that's that is factual. That yeah. never happened with any other genre of music before rock and roll. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna change it up a little bit. I know you got to go soon. Um, so you mentioned earlier. You know, you don't drink, you've never had a lit cigarette, you know, anything like that. No, no vices. Uh, do you drink? I don't say no vices. I well, just well that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Uh, uh -oh. so, so do you drink coffee or no? I do not drink coffee. All right. So, I mean, no, I drank coffee when I was a little kid, but no, I don't so, drink coffee as an adult. So you're, you're essentially straight edge, uh, you know, by, you want, by, you want by to know definition. My downfall? Is that so, what you're looking for? Yeah, that, that's I, I, I was going to ask, you know, what what, what is you imperfect do, about Daryl David? Because you're pretty fucking perfect. What what do you do to <laughs> what do you do to relieve stress or wind down? Um, play music. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, it's, it's the crap. No, uh, you know, my my, my downfall, uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, uh, I'm overweight, uh, I'm diabetic and I love sugar. OK, right. I really have to work on that. Yeah. Now, now, now you, you playing, huh? you played in some good cities. I'm sure Kansas City, oh, yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Um, 
the Carolinas, the South. Yeah, it's some good ass food in the South. <laughs> oh yeah. Like what? What? What's your uh, uh, now? I got. Are you a brisket man? Are you a Texas brisket guy? Are you a you 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 a baby back rib guy? Are you St. Louis spare ribs out there in Kansas City? Like, what's your favorite sauce? I I need to know. Like, if when you come out here and we link up, I need to know what I need to bring to make Daryl Davis feel at home. Like, yo, I like these dudes. Yeah, they're the shit. Even though I kind of feel like you like us because you talked to us three times already. <laughs> you know, you, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I love ribs. I love uh, brisket. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm a plain, I'm a plain meat and potatoes guy. Oh. Um, you know, I, I, I don't do hot spicy foods. So oh, okay. you know, I, I don't do that hot barbecue barbecue sauce. Right. I like, I like mild. I like sweet and you know sweet. Uh, you know that kind of stuff. I can't, I can't anything that burns my tongue. No, no, no. Okay. You know? But uh, I, I, I like Italian food. I like French food. I like German food, but nothing spicy. Nothing spicy. So you're not with yeah. the West Indian. That no, no, I can't. The, I can't the curry that. and the spice. No, <laughs> no, no, no Reaper pickles for you. Is well, see, you know, I, I, yeah. I go, to, I go to those, uh, I go to those restaurants, you know, and I'll say. Um, you know, is this spicy? Oh no, no, no! It's mild. Well, see, mild is spicy to me. Right? Yeah. 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 No, that's... It's, it's all you gotta have a little perspective on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. I mean, my mild to me is. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, a, a raw jalapeno would be mild to me. Yeah, you're a spicy dude. Yeah, you 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 <laughs> you love the spice. You yeah, love the heat. I, I do. Uh, as you know, contrary to all the memes or memes, <laughs> whatever you want to call them, uh, not all white people think mayonnaise is spicy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, let me see. I, I so wait a minute. Hold, hold on, let me ask. You. So you a sweet guy? You love the sweet? So so. Uh, you, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not a sweet guy. I'm uh, a guy that loves the sweets. Yeah, yeah. Let me get that right. <laughs> let me. Yeah. Let me. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. You, you're a guy that loves the sweets. Yeah. So are you like? Is it like really like, like are you gonna send me a like, of like like is it, is it is it like like uh, like tarts or, or are you like a pound cake guy? Are you German chocolate cake, cheesecake? Like what what is it? Is the cookie? dude man? You know, what's what's it, holding it, you down, baby? You see, you're, you're you're trying to tempt me right now to go out. And get some, you know, <laughs> you're, you're you're wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you want to send me a box of chocolates, I won't refuse it. <laughs> it, it like I'm, you know what? I've had German chocolate cake, but um, I remember in the, in in the, uh, it was this western with uh, uh, Kevin Costner and. Um, Oh my God, I can't remember his name. It was called uh, Ooh, and and the name of the movie escapes me. Uh, it, it was a scene where at the end, before the big gunfight, they're in the general store, and uh, Robert Duvall and oh, Kevin yeah. Costner, and uh, Robert Duvall goes to the store owner and he says, "I've got a hankering for a good smoke and some of your finest chocolate." And the guy goes, "The uh, this is all the way from." I think it was Sweden. Is is it the Swiss that have the best? Cho- Who's known for chocolate? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, so. uh, Bel- Belgium has the best, followed by Swiss. Okay, 
All right, so uh, yeah, I think it was Swiss. Have you ever had Swiss? I've never I've had had, knowingly had Swiss or Belgian chocolate. Have, have you ever had a, a Toblerone? No. Oh yeah, no, oh, I've yeah. never, I've, I've never had a Toblerone. Yeah, Toblerone. Oh man, we gotta get you one. It's a little like triangle, triangle. package. Yeah, I've seen them, and and yeah. yeah, I've seen them all the time. That's, I've never had one. That's Swiss. Is that and yeah. it's really yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, it's very good. But yeah, it, okay. it's also got what has it got like toffee in it or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next so next like time, Swiss chocolate. Next time I go coffee. to, uh, you know, I was, I was supposed to play a festival in Switzerland in May, but it got canceled. Right. Um, but next time I go to Switzerland or Belgium, I will bring you some chocolates. Oh. All right. So, so all right. Speaking of travel, uh, after after all is said and done and everything resumes to at least some resemblance of normalcy, uh, any plans for Chicago? Oh, I'm we sure I'll come there. Out here in March, right? You were supposed to be close. Was it Michigan? You had a, a speaking engagement in Michigan or uh, Indiana? Indiana, Indianapolis. Remember when we? Oh, right, right, right. He, he was supposed to be close around yeah. this time. But yeah, I'll, I'll be back that way. I'm sure. No question. I'll, I'll give you a heads up. Yeah. Well, well, we'll definitely at least have to uh, catch dinner, lunch, or yeah. You know, if you're willing to come into the uh, the studio here, uh, absolutely. You know, that'd be great. But um. All right, I, I think you have prior engagements uh, after this, and I've got to start getting ready for work at some point. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, uh, I appreciate your all's time. Yeah, man, uh, we appreciate you, man, Daryl. Man, I'm telling you, I know I'm. I could speak this on behalf of both of us. Both of us, you've affected us in more ways than you know, which you do generally. I'm pretty sure. Uh, population of individuals in the world yeah. so far with your speaking engagements and uh your uh your, your musicianship and i'm telling you man i talk about you all the time ever since i heard you i know i said it before i think the first show yeah but ever since i heard you on the damn lebertard show on espn i was infatuated i said man this dude is fucking amazing yeah and I know people are like, oh, you didn't have to curse right there. No, he's fucking <laughs> um, that adjective. Daryl fucking amazing Davis. Yeah. <laughs> Just thank you, thank you so much, man, for thank you guys. taking your time let's, out, let's, man, to talk to us, man. Let's Dude. do it again. Hell All yeah. Right. There you have it, Daryl Davis, Coffee Black, and myself, keeping it more lighthearted and staying away from the race relations. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. Don't forget to stop by my website, theherfcast.com, and go to the store, order a shirt. You could find a link for Patreon there, and you could support me that way. That would be amazing. Uh, $5 and up gets you into a monthly contest. Also, don't forget to use the coupon code HERFCAST at stogiebird.com. At stogiebird.com, you could choose two, five, eight, and now a dozen cigars a month, or you could purchase other cigars on the website. Use the code HERFCAST for $5 off, and you won't be disappointed. So thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll keep you posted for the next episode.